1: It's uh, Roxanne Durhott. Thanks uh, for tuning in yet again. Uh, today I have a, a very special colleague um, that uh, I met recently. As uh, she's also a member of the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers, Dr. Sajal Bellin. Hi, Sajal. How are you? Great, Roxanne. Thanks for having me. So so glad you could take uh, time out of your busy schedule. So Sajal has um, particular expertise that I think would be useful to people uh, listening to the podcast, and we. My brand obviously is talking about authenticity but Sejal has a very very unique uh, background um, and she has a very long CV so I'm going to try to hit all the high, mm-hmm. high spots and if she I miss anything she's going to add into it. but is a thought leader uh, in mental wellness professional. she's an educator and a professor. Um, she specializes in well-being, human connection, positive transformation and growth for individuals and organizations. She's a member of uh, the OACCP, which is a psychotherapy and mental health professional, the Association of Trauma Specialists, um, with designations as a trauma specialist, um, and the International Positive Psychology Association. Um, And she's also a a professional speaker, like I mentioned earlier, with CAPS, which is the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers, and the Global uh, Speakers Professionals Association. That's a mouthful. And she's been a board of directors for the uh, Canadian Positive Psychology Association. She's an adult educator and she's developed the first positive psychology certificates at Wilford Laurier. What, a, what an achievement, Sejal.
0: Thank you. Uh,
1: her, her passions are basically, uh, she research various um, emergency services, which is uh, an interest of mine and something that I've been involved with in a while, and resiliency post-traumatic growth and mental wellness. Um, she brings this not just from an academic frame. What's uh, very, very important to know is that she also has personal experience um, where her um, husband is a professional firefighter and she's worked, she understands the concept of what it is to live with someone that goes out there and deals with things that the average person may not even uh, potentially envision or have to experience um, daily or even once or twice in their lifetime. So Sejal, is there anything that I've missed? I know there's a lot more, but what is it um, that you would want uh, the listeners to know uh, about you that I haven't captured um, in slicing and dicing your uh, CV?
0: Oh, you you did a lot there actually. Um, But really, I come at uh, many of our issues organizationally and uh, even when I look at families and couples from a very systemic perspective. So it's one thing that I've been encountering is a lot of our solutions um, and places that people have been concentrating are very siloed and then we tend to band-aid our uh, situations and finding quick solutions and what we're finding is that none of these are sustainable and they're not having enough impact. So certainly when I do my work or programs or even talking to people, it really is coming from a very systemic view so that we can have
1: more sustainable success. So for the average person that's listening that does not know what PTS or PTSD is, mm-hmm. if you could kind of give them a kind of a working um, definition of it and how emergency services might get impacted, like someone like your sure. your, um, your husband or just the average person how it would affect, when we say system, system could be family, system could be friendships. Sure, sure. Companies, Uh, communities, lots of things.
0: It's very, again, this is a very multi-layered and multi-dynamic scenario when we're dealing with PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And uh, we're actually calling it PTSI now, uh, just because it's, you're not always in a disorder state. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really, really important because that will help to shift the stigma that's associated um, with mental uh, illness and which is considered uh, PTSD is considered under. PTSI uh, gives us the idea that, um, you know, we can come in and out of it, which I've experienced firsthand with my husband as well. So if we think about it, all of us as humans are very resilient Mm -hmm. and, you know, we face trauma many times over in our lifetime and generally speaking we are wired to cope and many of us will normalize many of us will go through episodes of possibly depression or other coping skills during these journeys and we come out of it and it and that's again as human beings that's what we're wired for sometimes we come across something that is just so devastating to our system, to our emotions, um, to ourselves that we can't process. And then our brains get stuck in a fight or flight situation, a survival um, survival state and that's where PTSD kind of h- houses itself where we're you know super vigilant uh, hyper vigilant uh, lack of sleep flashbacks our ba- brain is having such problems in processing what it is we've experienced or seen And first responders, just imagine, again, we are all normal human beings. And now all of a sudden, you're taking this normal human being that would normally be able to cope and Mm -hmm. putting them in the face of trauma over and over and over again. And sometimes with very little windows in between each incident. So what happens? Just like anybody that would be exposed to a number of uh, traumatic situations like that, you know, they too reach their capacity mm-hmm. or their inability to continue to cope as, as we normally would. And some of them will go into addiction. Some of them will have issues at home. But somehow this inability to cope or being stuck in this state manifests itself. And usually if it's not looked after, it's at the detriment of the individual right? Or their relationships, their quality of life. And it's really sad because PTSD doesn't affect one person. It has turned our whole life around. And that was two years ago. And I can honestly say we were all in crisis. And, you know, I'm really proud to say that two years later, not only is my husband doing a phenomenal job, Um, And taking charge of his situation and, and coming to where he's gotten to very successfully. But also that we as a couple have been able to do that. And we as a family with our two children have been able to manage that. And so when you talk about systems, it's the individual, the couple, the family, and now navigating back to work. That's a whole other Uh, A whole other venue of multiple layers and systems. Again, right? So absolutely, it's really, really interesting. There isn't—it's not a cookie cutter solution.
1: Absolutely, and it's so um, telling, right? You know, I often say that when I deal with trauma and in my practice, you know, it'll be like someone will come in and they say, "Well, the cat ran away," and I, all of a sudden, I couldn't do anything, Um, and, and I can't believe this is done. This has had the impact on my life. But maybe they'd gone through, maybe they dealt with trauma, maybe they've been through traumatic events, maybe they had trauma as a child, uh, maybe there was a, a recent separation. It was a cumulative effect of the mm-hmm. cat running away, which, you know, symbolically everybody would say, what's the big deal? But all of a sudden, that was the, the kind of the, the fault in the roof that finally caved in.
0: Absolutely. Right. Uh, in, in our situation here at home, uh, Vincent responded to a call and it it just sent a flood back of all the things that we had been experiencing over the past decade, and it was so funny because we had done exactly what I talked about. We normalized mm-hmm. things, and of course, me as the wife, and 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 me as just being me, was dealing with it through humor. You know, it was the it was a joke when he'd come home from work and he had had a bad day or a bad shift. I was just you know, public enemy number one for the day, and I knew just to kind of keep my distance, and you know, he'd come around when he felt like, and you know, I just started using humor as of a way for me to cope. Right. Absolutely. And, right, and and so we started to recognize that there was a disconnection. We both saw it. Uh, And it was really, really interesting because now in hindsight, we've gone back and reflected on, you know, particular incidences or patterns that we had sort of come up with all on our own. And it's been very, very interesting to see sort of the evolution of how we got to that moment and then now to see where we're going. So, you know, if there's anything that I can tell people out there is don't give up. It's about putting the right strategies into place. And that these things are, uh, you can overcome them and you can st- keep your relationship intact. You can keep yourself intact and you can lead a very high quality life. You are not broken.
1: Well, yeah, so Isn't that very interesting, right? Because I, you know, over my career, I've dealt with firefighters. I worked at the police at one of my very first jobs was responding to crimes and stuff like that. And at the time that I worked with the Metro Toronto Police, so I'm going to date myself here, guys. <laughs> Um, you know, was back, um, back, goodness, into 1990. And we, there was a team, I don't know if people know, Victim Services, which is known really well now. At that point, we were the first, one of the first Victim Services um, that existed. And the team of 13, there was this, an assessment done on all of us, uh, of which they found most of us were on the higher end. And then there was actually one person suicidal on the team at the time that the assessment was done. So again, here we are. And oftentimes the police officers would say, so we were downtown in headquarters. That's where we were stationed and the cops would call us and we had to answer the bad phone, like we called it. And they would say, okay, we've got something we'd like you to respond. And they generally would do a massive cleanup, Sejal, before we went out. Mm -hmm. And, would say you know okay you guys you know joking you know you know the term stay in your kind of ivory tower you social worker psychotherapist and we'll we'll have you in after everything's clean which is exactly what they did and the impact on our team who are trained people we're still human beings with that cumulative effect of of responding to traumas Um, and it's telling right so that you know I can still remember my worst cases like it was yesterday.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, reverberating and remembering because it was impactful for me as a human being at that time, I didn't have children, but the people that had children when we responded, you know, the centers of reference, which you would know, which is basically anything that's kind of mimicked or close to our lives, it impacts us more. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then it's, it's then harder to, I, I'd say, um, basically ingest it or or find a space for it because we can really kind of see our lives in the impact of what's happened right in front of us and it's really getting that support relative very early to be able to process those symptoms within 24 hours and then within 72 hours to really repro or debrief completely to kind of Again, I go through the you know advanced digestions of the emotional exactly. situation, and then still, if there's something else going on in our lives, we can still be impacted. So, having had personal experience with that, it's 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 a tough thing. So, with uh, with Vincent, mm-hmm. he has seen a lot over that ten years. I'm going. He has for he sure, has. and um, and then you would kind of try to minimize it or just kind of try to kind of
0: No, not. a lot of the time I didn't even know about it. Well, he didn't
1: talk about it at no. all. No,
0: and so this is the thing that another thing that we've encountered uh amongst uh, some patterns amongst emergency responders is that they want to keep work at work and home home. Yes. And yes. they don't tend to bring um the conversations home, and I would like to sort of challenge that a little bit and encourage spouses to open up with spouses because it allows the other spouse to be there for you, or at least to be aware of what could be happening. And so when you come at this as a couple, you're not alone. And in fact, the marriage can get stronger because now you're being given an opportunity
1: to step up and
0: to be there in the way that a spouse might need you to be.
1: Isn't that interesting, right? Because if you think about it, and I can think back to my time, which is the same but a bit different from what Vincent might have gone through. When you are going through those traumatic events with a partner or, or, a, or, or a crew, there's a bond that gets developed, you know, that's so, so, um, like, they get me. They get what I do. Mm-hmm. And I still have a partner. She's one of my very best friends today. Um We had several near misses where we could have died. And I'm sure Vincent has multiple stories about Mm -hmm. that. That bond that got developed with us, Sejal, was so deep because we in a flash as human beings in a second knew we could have been gone. So that bond that gets developed, if I, if you, you're right, if I go home and I don't share it with my partner, What I'm doing is really disallowing my partner to understand that space that I was in and finding that, you know, that bonds elsewhere. Would you agree with that or in a different way?
0: Yeah. And and what it does, it becomes missed opportunity. And when we tend to experience something on our own and discluding our partner, Mm -hmm. and again, it, it, it can then have a sort of relay effect of disconnection Mm -hmm. between the spouses. And then just imagine talking about what you just did, where you're building a bond outside Mm -hmm. at work. And again, our, uh, dynamics and, and, um, populations at work are changing where we're having males and females working together. Um, you know, people find, um, those connections a little bit stronger perhaps when we become vulnerable, who you're going to go to, you're going to go to your crew, you're going to go to your spouse. And mm-hmm. so then we're talking again, a whole different layer of potential dynamics and things that can happen or not happen. Right? Like, so what I'm suggesting is that, you know, to continue to have conversations, Mm -hmm. continue to have conversations um, at work because I do think those bonds are very, very important, but also have and to encourage conversations to happen at home, even the tough ones, because it's the tough ones that really, help with connection. And that's anytime external or internal to the home. When we break through, when we challenge ourselves to have really tough conversations, things that we don't normally talk about or are really difficult to talk about, and we're able to work through it with that another person, it brings that relationship closer. It makes that connection tighter. And it just allows us to have stronger bonds that are necessary during times of turmoil. Yeah, you can't sure. create these connections when you're already in crisis. You need to have these connections in place so that when crisis happens, you're not alone.
1: Absolutely, you know. Well said, right? Because obviously, with a uh, PTS or I, like you're mm-hmm. saying, um, th- those. Symptoms can be there, right? And, we're, and obviously um, the EMS workers are going back in the next day or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Um, so being able to share, you know, that I went to a call and my goodness, there was a child about the age of, you know, my sons and kind of what I saw the impact on that family. And then I saw, you know, what could happen where did it take me, and what did it? What am I afraid of, and what am I grateful for? Those are the deeper, conscious conversations as human beings. If we get there, what we do is instead of leading away, people start to lean towards, right? That's so, right. You know, and that what happens is with emergency services, policing, paramedics, or firefighters, which I know you know well, is that. <laughs> There's that sense of, I'm going to put it in a silo. I'm going to figure out a silo because I don't know what to do with all these things. Sure.
0: Or I'm already alone. And then we tend to create more alienation or isolation because we don't want to talk about this. I know, look, I'm coming back to my crew. No one else is experiencing anything. Mm -hmm. But it's not that they're not experiencing anything. It's that no one's talking about it. Right. And, uh, you know, we've seen an increase Uh, frequency of suicides within this population as well. And, you know, everyone's talking about suicide after it happens. We need to be talking about suicide way before, way before it's even a thought. Uh, We need to have these open conversations so that people can recognize, you know, what does risk look like? What does hopelessness look like? And what can we do before it gets to these points, right? So
1: I want you to... to speak to a family member that may be listening sure that's thinking okay what's what should i be looking for and what should i be thinking and how should i what kind of way should i start approaching if i've never approached because you've been there i mean as a as a you know a couples therapist i can tell people you know the things that i think but you've actually been in the trenches with a partner. Um, doing it. So what kind of advice would you get to give to any family members or even kids, you know, that maybe having experience of mom or dad, whoever's in the, in the, that role. um, Maybe they know there's a bit of a buffer, but they don't know how to intervene. What kind of things would you suggest to them? So
0: basically I would, one of the first telltale signs is when you start to feel disconnect, whether it's yourself Or the other person when you start to feel that distancing so follow your gut when it comes to that and don't be afraid to address it because if we address that when it's smaller there's still room for us to connect and talk about it what happens over time if we just let things go that distancing gets further and further apart and then we're less apt to be vulnerable or as open or authentic as we would normally be if we were this close. Mm-hmm. So as soon as you start to feel a disconnect in a relationship or b- between someone you care about, or even perhaps somebody at work, just reach out, talk to them. And it doesn't even have to be deep. Mm-hmm. It just has to be a point of connection. Find something to laugh about, find something, some common ground, let them know you're there and let them know you care because that that would be, make, can make the difference. As a mental health professional, something that I'm asking other mental health professionals to perhaps think about in our approach when we talk about suicide, we always tend to ask clients, have you thought about suicide? Mm-hmm. Yes or no. Do you have a plan? Yes or no. Well, that's where it ends. If the person says that I don't have a plan, they're considered not at risk. And we kind of, you know, glaze over that and move on to the next thing. We need to go beyond that. We need to encourage people to think about if you ever found yourself in that place, that hopeless place, in that moment, what would be the one thing that would make you pause? Mm -hmm. What would be that one thing? Because just by having that question or having this conversation, you're already implanting that thought, the one thing that would stop them or get them to pause in the moment. So if they ever do find themselves in that position, it's very likely that they're going to come back to this conversation and remember what was that, you know, that thing that was going to make me pause when I was going to feel like this? Because I will tell you, majority of the first responders out there that have committed suicide never had a plan. Mm-hmm. It was spontaneous, it was in the moment, and it was fast. Mm-hmm. And we need to think about that. Because it's, when, we're, when they're in our offices, when we're having these conversations, it's very unlikely they're going to say, you know, they might admit that, yes, I've thought about it because that's becoming more and more known. I mean, we all do. We all get to this place, right, where it just seems easier um, or, or it, you just want to end whatever it is that's going on in your head, in your ears, in your heart, in your stomach, because it gets very, very powerful. But the thing is, is that we don't necessarily always have the plan. Mm-hmm. Right. And I know I've been there because this has been the hardest two years of my life. Let me tell you, you know, I adore my husband to no end and, um, us figuring out what we figured out. It it has been hard and I've navigated this as a professional, but also as a person. And I did go to that dark place too, because there was a lot of pain and we as human beings will do anything to avoid pain. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so to think about that one thing that would make you
1: pause. Yeah. That who, right. It's, it's a tool. Ultimately going to be that picture of that. Who is it? It could
0: be, it could be yeah. my, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll be very blunt about it. The thing that makes me pause is what if I don't do it right?
1: Oh, wow. Okay.
0: Yeah. Like that's so, what, like, what scares me. if like,
1: I do it halfway? and Yeah. I just, or um, I
0: screw it up cause okay. that, you know, cause that scares me more than, you know, leaving people behind. Because, again, uh, depending on people's individual situations, the person who's thinking about it could be thinking of themselves as a potential burden. And if that's the case, they see that situation as freeing the
1: other people from this burden. So it's Um, not always going to be people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Or even that disconnection, right? Like I think I lost um, somebody that I considered dear to my heart about three years ago to suicide and he mm-hmm. was um a therapist like us mm-hmm. and um had you know was seeing psych- psychiatry was on the medication did all that stuff Sejal yeah. and um you know what What we know from the research is that disconnection between I'm gonna I'm thinking this and I'm doing this and like what the research shows like what Shaw says um which I'm sure you know him it's kind of mm-hmm. like I did this I'm doing something, but my thoughts finally caught up with it. And that kind of sounds like what happened with him. His wife um, went to get a lottery ticket. And this is a man who loved his family. Mm -hmm. Breaks my heart. I actually dedicated, he's in the dedications in the front of my book. I considered him a very dear friend. I loved him as a friend and also a mentor. And he would have never hurt his family. No no but he committed suicide in his home. Yeah right and she said I spoke to him then he went to get she went to get the lottery ticket and then came back and then he was he had, he had uh, um, killed himself so it's, I, I, I hear what you're saying right and I really you're right I think as mental health professionals we really really need to take that so seriously and recognize that that connection like you said it could be something so small. Um when we touch people that we don't know and we have the duty to be able to, you know, say whether it's a smile, right? Like I often mm-hmm. say a smile is like a, a hug, you know, or whether you say a, a please or a thank you or how are you today, you know, those gentle, gentle little things may make a difference. And you never know, right? So being being connected as human beings is so important in our day-to-day lives. And then you look at people that are like your husband and so many ad- other people that are an EMS that are doing a, a vital role and then mm-hmm. their, their shrapnel is attached to them, which is oftentimes emotional. And then they, they keep us safe and then we send them home to your families. And, you know, we have a duty to make sure that we do even more to keep them free so that they can go out and do whatever they do very well all over again to keep us That's safe. That's right. You know?
0: Yeah yeah absolutely and and what's very sad that we've encountered as we've been exploring these conversations with more people is that these first responders do their job, do their job exceptionally well, come back with whatever they've seen or can't cope with, and haven't noticed or paid attention or made the connection of the deteriorating relationships at home, and then come home and home is empty. Mm-hmm. And so then this causes a compounding effect, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, so again, there's just so many, so many conversations and so many layers that need to be had when we're looking at mental health uh, within the emergency service sector, mm-hmm. uh, both within the stations and at home. And unfortunately, as, as I pointed out earlier, many people are sort of going in these circles and creating these band aid solutions and investing money and energy and time versus really looking at it from a systemic nature. Mm -hmm. And this is what my work and my research has been done, uh, during my doctoral studies is looking at it from a complete systemic and cultural change Mm -hmm. perspective, um, how to create multiple layers and multiple connections within the system so that no one system, system is being totally burdened financially or any resource wise and how we can tap into systems that are not even included in the conversation, like families, like communities, you know, like creating bigger networks. And if we were to do that, How much more sustainable the change would be, but also the improving of quality of life for not only the individual emergency services, but their families, the communities, and the people that benefit from their services. Like, there's just this can be a real snowball effect, but in the right direction if we
1: were to look at it. Absolutely, because you know, if you think about it, the more connected we all are to each other. Unfortunately, bad things happen in our communities and we need services and we, we, we rely on them. <laughs> we don't mm-hmm. even think about it, right? If you mm-hmm. or I were to call 911 right now, we expect somebody's gonna be there within minutes. Absolutely. And you know they have to be on because that's the expectation of their role. But we also have a duty, I think, um, as a community and globally even, the more connected and aware we are to keep people healthy then we're, we're, we're really taking care of each other and we're taking care of our neighbors. If th- That's the way I look at it, right?
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. Um, and it's, a de- you know, talking about a tough topic that we're talking about today is really, it's on the opposite uh, continuum of authenticity, right? Because we expect people to be to authentic, uh, uh, authentic, but when they're going through rough times, what do we tell them? Oh, get over it. Suck it up, okay. buttercup. <laughs> what's the <a> big deal? <laughs> We've all been there, you know, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And in this case, I can tell you, and I'm, I know you've seen it in, in your practice and, and your speaking and things like that, same as me, those things don't work.
0: No, no. We need to have conversations. We did a a recent talk. Uh, My husband and I actually went out and uh, talked for the association, uh, for their professional firefighter association, where we opened ourselves up. And I didn't go in as a mental health professional. Actually, one of the platoon chiefs even said, he goes, oh, I saw your card doctor and rolled my eyes. And I said, really? And he goes, yeah. And he goes, but... What you guys did was unreal and it needs to happen more. And we actually walked up in front of the room and I openly said, I'm not here as a medical, uh, sorry, as a mental health professional. I'm not here as an educator. I'm here as a spouse and Mm. my husband's here and we're going to open up our living room to you today. Mm. So you can see what PTSI and uh, so post-traumatic stress injury and occupational stress injuries look like beyond the textbook, beyond the science, in real life, real time, and what it really sounds like. Right. And, you know, we we actually ran through a, a kind of scenario that we've named You've Got Balls. And <laughs> <laughs> it's it was actually sort of a real mini reenactment of one of our most ridiculous fights that actually – positioned us to actually deal with the situation that we were at, you know, and, and the time that we were at and the, the talk was so powerful and the conversations that happened within our talk, because we, we integrated strategies into the stories. We integrated, um, you know what this looks like now in a return to work situation people opened up in that room we created such a spectacular event with psychological safety that i'm sure conversations that haven't been had before questions that haven't been asked before, curiosities. It was amazing. And these are the types of conversations and more opportunities that we need to have to be able to allow people to open up. And it can be retired members. It can be active members, spouses, families, community um, partners, leadership within the organizations. This is really key. So, you know, Vincent and I are continuing on this journey and speaking to groups, um, both inside and outside of the emergency services, anywhere that people want to create organizational or systematic change and have these difficult conversations.
1: So Sajel, tell me more where people can get a hold of
0: you. I can be reached or you can find more information at SejalBellin.com. That's S-A-J-E-L. B-E-L-L-O-N dot com. And you can email me at sagel at sagelbellon.com or reach our office at info at sagelbellon.com.
1: So what they can get from you is to be if they're wanting to speak, let's say there's somebody listening and they want mm-hmm. to really just reach out, um, not sure what they're needing um, for their organizations, they can reach out and you will discuss kind of their needs. Absolutely. Um, and you do? Do you you also do um, coaching with couples? Is that what I'm? T- yeah. Understand?
0: So we. I I do a number of things. Um, I, I am a professional adult educator, so I'm able to build strategic training and programs and offerings for organizations, which I do, um, as well as post-secondary sector. I also offer a couple connection points, conversations, groups. I speak in front of groups. I have been traveling internationally to uh, create more uh, connection cultivation groups as well. So any, any area of interest where people want to start talking Whether it's, you know, you as an individual, I do offer the personal coaching. I do offer group intervention as well. Um, I create for organizations and I even help families. Right now, the idea is having these conversations. Creating the spaces for uh, psychological safety, and that's what I do. So I will do it anywhere and for anyone, um, but that's open to, to having this positive change in their life.
1: Well, that's awesome. What a what a gift, Sejal. You know, I like you can talk about it from one angle, but you've 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 kind of been in it, um, repairing and putting you know, kind of taking out the pieces that impacted you from you know, um, occupational stress and, and injury and reintegrating that back into attachment, that's what I hear, mm-hmm. and being attached again to a partner and that comes with a whole other bag of tricks <laughs> or, or, or parents and all that stuff, but then you put injury into what, what a, to be able to, for anyone listening, you know, to be able to do that, um, you know, is a gift back to people um, that sometimes feel that there's no way out. You know, what do I do? I can't get through. Um, so I would say please reach out and, and, and chat Sejal is lovely and uh, she would be open to obviously sharing anything and, and um, maybe you'd have the opportunity to see him her and uh, Vincent at some point um, do that skit because that would be like <laughs> I'm thinking I want to see that skit it's funny
0: <laughs> it wasn't at the moment but it is
1: now <laughs> <laughs> See, we grow from our experiences we do we do there is hope yeah So, St. Jill, thanks so much so for my listeners yet again um, the gifts that we get from just talking and uh, what I've learned is that it's, it's so very important we talk about connection but when we want to connect with people that are hurt sometimes it's hard because we give up but really when it's people that you love you try even harder And if you think it's bigger than your household, you go outside, you chat with somebody like Sajal or myself or someone that's dear to you that can be that support or that anchor to be able to take the next step. So um, if you're wanting anything further you're needing to reach out, uh, you can reach me at RoxanneDurHodge.com. And uh, I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Take care, Sajal. Thanks, Roxanne, for having me. Okay, thank you. Okay, take care.